to the Parenting in Uniform podcast. I'm your host, Claudia. I became a mom after 16 years of active duty service. That's when I discovered the unique challenges service members face during pregnancy, postpartum recovery, breastfeeding, and just dealing with military life while balancing families at home. I hope this podcast helps to enlighten senior leaders and new moms alike on parenting while serving our nation. Welcome back to the Parenting Uniform Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Lieutenant Colonel Cheska Ruttenberg, also known as Jay Rutt for her call sign. She is in the Air Force and a pilot, and so pretty cool to have a call sign like that. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Sure. Let me just uh, read a little bit about yourself. So Lieutenant Colonel Jessica Ruttenberg is an Air Force pilot currently serving at the Pentagon as a lead planner and programmer. She also volunteers on the Department of the Air Force Barrier Analysis Working Group Women's Initiative Team, also known as WIT. As an influential and authoritative advocate on topics that influence women's propensity to serve the Air Force mission, her writing and work on the women's initiative teams prompted the DOD to design the first ever maternity flight suit and change the way the Air Force designs aircraft and equipment to be inclusive for women and minorities. The Office of the Secretary of Defense also adopted her proposal to prohibit pregnancy-based discrimination, and on September 4, 2020, the DOD recognized pregnancy as a protected class in military equal opportunity policies. You have been busy, so and, (laughs) and on our behalf, so thank you very much for everything you've done. Thanks. Happy to serve. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your military background, aside from what we just mentioned, and also about your family, because clearly you're very passionate about your family or you wouldn't do what you do. Absolutely. I am a lieutenant colonel, but I am also married to another lieutenant colonel Air Force pilot named Dan. We've been married 15 years. We met on a deployment to the Middle East and uh, got married. And seven years later, we had our first child, Faith, and she is now eight years old. We have a seven-year-old, Daniel, and a three-about-to-be-four-year-old, Hope. And uh, joint spouse has been a challenge, and having children in the military has been a challenge. And uh, as I continue to excel in my career, I want to remove some of the barriers that me and my husband have encountered over our 20 years to make it a little bit easier for those coming behind us, just like the ones that did for us before us. And one of the big initiatives you've taken on recently is primary caregiver leave. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's a team of us at the Women's Initiative team, and uh, half of us are men uh, because this impacts men just as much as it impacts women. So primary and secondary caregiver is the leave that you get after the adoption or a birth of a child. And a lot of people think that it's maternity leave, but it's not. Up until about six or seven years ago, maternity leave was the convalescent period, just the medical recovery leave for the female member that had the birth of the child, which was typically around six weeks. So it wasn't like you're vacationing at home, you're physically recovering for the birth, sometimes longer if there's a complication or a cesarean. Uh, But since then, we've improved policy significantly to be more family friendly so that we can have uh, be more attractive to the younger generation, the millennials coming in, the zennials that want to have more roles in their uh, children's life. So now we have primary caregiver leave, which is six weeks, and then we have secondary caregiver leave, which is three weeks, 21 days. And the way the policy is written right now, 
it defaults to the female to be the primary caregiver. In the Air Force's case, it's 97% of the time. And then the male would be the secondary caregiver or the partner for same sex, uh, which defaults to almost exclusively to the male. But the way the law is written allows either gender or either partners to be primary, but how each service has chosen to execute this in their personnel practices has put in kind of a biased language to encourage men not to be primary caregivers uh, with ex just a few exceptions. And uh, those exceptions heavily lean towards, you know, like your death of your partner or joint spouse, which may seem fair, but the majority of uh, joint spouse is females. It's a very low number for men to be joint spouse. For the Air Force, it's one out of 10 men are joint spouse when it comes to dual marriages versus half the female marriages. Um, in the Air Force is dual mill. So these policies, what we want to do is just kind of, hey, let's just have one parental leave. This episode is sponsored by Mamava, the leading expert in lactation space design. Mamava provides compliant lactation space solutions to meet the needs of breastfeeding parents and the organizations that support them. Mamava pods can be opened with a free app, which also helps moms find thousands of places to pump on the go, including on military bases around the world. Mamava is on GSA contract. Head over to mamava.com for more info. Everybody gets six weeks, so all we'll do is get rid of that secondary caregiver leave and up it from three weeks to six weeks. And it really, when we did the analysis on this, doesn't impact manpower that much. It's less than a quarter percent in the Air Force of 1%. You know, So we're talking a small amount of uh, manpower, but we wanna be able to protect the mission because at the end of the day, our job is to win wars. So we also wanna give commanders the flexibility to execute that. So instead of saying, hey, I'm on sea duty, I'm in the Navy, or I'm going on a deployment in the Air Force for like six months, and it's not a good time for the mission, or you have a critical uh, skill set that no one else has, maybe we can have some flexibility to allow them to take it later in the year, or break it up in smaller chunks when it's less impactful to the unit. And that's why commanders get paid what they do to make these tough decisions. But we know that commanders want to take care of their people and they want to take care of their mission. And this is one of the best ways we can close the gender gap of inequality by having one parental leave for all instead of favoring just the female. Okay. And I can see how commanders would be hesitant to accept something like that because then the assumption is that every father every new father is going to want to take six weeks off and so there would be an impact you know to maybe unit readiness or being able to just complete the task and and you actually wrote an article about this too the article is one leave to rule them all how the military can create parental equality and this is found on hidden barriers and you point this out but that you know, the impact would be greater, for instance, in an MOS that has less people in it, or if it's a smaller unit, things like that. But again, you go back to, well, overall, though, what was the percentage you said? Impact? It would be less than a um, quarter of 1% in man years, which when you're at a 50,000 foot view, that's not much. Um, for manpower, but at a smaller unit, at a tactical level, it could be felt more deeply by a unit. Mm -hmm. And that's why the key is to have flexibility. And actually the current policy right now, commanders can deny primary and secondary caregiver leave. 
So we can do that right now. The convalescent, the medical period is something they can't because that person's probably not even mission qualified or medically clear to do the mission that they would do. So that first convalescent period is protected, but the absolutely commanders can deny the primary caregiver to a woman. But I think the biases, I'll give a personal example of myself. In 2014, before we had primary and secondary caregiver, we only had the convalescent period. And my husband was working staff in Germany and I was still flying aircraft. And after the six week period, I wanted to take an additional six more weeks of personal leave because we didn't have the uh, primary caregiver leave because we had an 18 month old at home, a newborn. And uh, when I came back, I was gonna hit the ground running, start flying immediately. I wanted that time to bond with my baby, to figure out breastfeeding and to be there for both my children. No hesitation whatsoever, even though I was flying the operational mission to grant me that six weeks. My husband was given his 10 days, which was authorized at the time, and he asked to take two more weeks, and they said, nope, that's just not what we do here, even though he wasn't mission essential. That's kind of the bias that's baked in, but I think the policy needs to reflect culture, and culture you know, influences policy that uh, we have a 1950s way of doing things still sometimes in the military with personnel practices when we think that you have to have a stay-home, you know, portable spouse in order to succeed and excel in your career, which isn't the current American construct right now. So if we're, we need to keep up to stay competitive. And not only does this in some way can save us money because we have men leaving because of their spouse's career and other considerations. And we wanna retain that talent. So every time we lose somebody because of a family consideration, especially in, in career fields that are high cost of training, like a pilot, uh, we lose significant amount of money trying to, to retrain their replacement. So that retention piece alone could make up for this. Right. And so you mentioned how commanders can deny the leave, that parental leave. However, it there the policy is written so you can take the, those six weeks anytime, right? It doesn't have to be concurrent. So it doesn't need to be six weeks convalescent leave followed by the six weeks of the primary caregiver leave. That primary caregiver leave can be taken anytime within a year, I think it is. It's not that they're completely denying you ever taking it. It's just you'd have to schedule it for a time that's conducive to deployments or whatever the unit has going on at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in the case of my husband with his third, our third child, uh, he chose to take the uh, leave at the end of the year because uh, he just took command and it would impact his unit. So he was very uh, welcome to do that. And in the FY20, NDAA, they actually passed legislation to allow us to, as the military, to break up that six or 21 days, six weeks or 21 days into smaller chunks, but the DOG hasn't just executed it, but I hear in our last uh, meeting that they're about to implement that at the uh, service level. Okay. And then this also helps for men who have wives who, yes, they may be civilians, but they work full time. And so sometimes that that spouse who is a civilian has that full time job that they want to get back to. So not everybody necessarily wants to take 12 weeks of maternity leave. And so, however, like you were saying, it's just bias. And there's that assumption that, well, no, you have a wife at home. Um, your wife is going to take that the time. You don't need six weeks of primary caregiver leave. Every family is different. Every family is unique. And we do have a lot more working moms now. And so this helps reflect that a lot of dads out there want to also bond with their children for an extended period of time. 
And that's what your article is about. It's fantastic because it highlights a major who went through this, just that. All right. It was Travis. Um, he's a C-130 pilot um, over at the Netherlands right now in the exchange program. And he went to take the primary leave and his commander wanted to give it to him. But the way the language was written, he wasn't sure he was allowed to, but he wanted to support him. And his whole frustration was, why do men have to get a legal review to ask to be a primary caregiver? And a female, he's never heard of a female getting a legal review to see if she could be the primary caregiver. Just the way some of the stuff is written in the Air Force language. I'm going to read some of it here. In most cases, the primary caregiver will be the parent who physically gives birth. And traditionally, and you know, half a century ago, that would be the family construct, but that's not necessarily the way we do it in America anymore. And then it goes on to say that you know, it can be designated as the primary if it's unavailable due to incapacity or death. And, um, or, and it goes on to us to say that the non-military parent to return to his or her place of employment. So at least the Air Force policy recognizes the spouse might have employment. That's excellent, though, that he was able to get that leave. But of course, he had to go through the whole process and probably be, you know, the first guy to really fight for it. And fortunately, he had a command team that was willing to support it. And so one of the things that you say is to close the gender gap is to close the caregiver gap. Did I get that right? Absolutely. So if we just make it one standard leave besides the medical leave, um, I think that would close the gender gap for sure. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss about primary caregiver leave in general? The closing thoughts here are just about primary and secondary caregiver leave. Is we just need to modernize our policies to reflect the population we recruit from. China is going to be, by 2030, is estimated to have four times the population as the United States, twice the GDP, and 15 times the STEM graduates. So they have you know, so much more money. They're going to have higher educated individuals and four times the population. Why? At the same time, in 2018, a DOD report says that 71% of America's youth are ineligible to serve. Uh, whether it's because of medical or academic aptitude or propensity. So we're having a talent competition with China. It's really a great talent competition. So we can fill the numbers, but we have to keep lowering our academic aptitude and stuff like that to get to fill these people in these roles. And as we get a um, national defense strategy with China, we're going to have more technical roles, not just the combat traditional roles. So we need to be able to compete. And how we compete is modernizing our policy to reflect the population we recruit from. Our Fortune 500 companies like Amazon give six weeks to each partner, regardless of gender. The federal government right now, last year in 2020, uh, has passed the Title V that gives both government employees or the government employee, regardless of gender, of 12 weeks. We're asking for six. So all we're saying is if we want to tap into that talent, the MIT graduate, and to really get the America's best to compete with China to defend our nation in the future war with China, we need to modernize these policies. Right. So it becomes essential for readiness and for retention. Absolutely. And then also just to close, I mean, clearly you're all over this and taking direct action to improve the work environments for all parents who serve in uniform. What are some small but actionable steps that you can recommend that we can all take even at the lowest level to instill change, some, to instill some positive improvements at our own unit level? Any recommendations? Yeah, this is actually one of the most common questions I get by uh, men. How can I help? And you can help by having awkward conversations <laughs> with 
your your troops, whether it's a male that is expecting a child or your female troops that may be pregnant, um, and help them come up with a plan instead of having them go alone. Ask them if they plan to breastfeed and you know find out what kind of lactation policies do they have a lactation room that is required. And, uh, you know, just reach out when you can. And there's a lot of resources out there. Don't make them to go on it by themselves. The Army, since this, you're in the Army, just increased their period from six months to 12 months for body um, fat standards to allow women to recover without having to, like, take away from their lactation supply to try to make weight. These are all great things, but they're so spaced out in different regulations. I keep finding people, you know, looking, like, for just basic information such as, you know, enlisted getting money for uniform so that they can go there. They can go to their first sergeant in the Air Force for us and get that kind of stuff. So just reach out and ask and ask men if they want, to, you know, how they want to participate. Ask them about their deployment cycles. And I'm, I'm sure they already do that right there. But have those awkward conversations, even if you don't want to talk about breasts or, you know, birth plans, that kind of thing, and, and ask how you can support. That's right. And then Athena Thriving too. And there's also a white paper out there that are two great compilations of the current regulations that are for pregnancy and postpartum. You know, if you're wondering how to support your female army, at least this is for army service specific, you know, and if you want a copy and you don't know where to find it, you can find links on the parenting uniform Facebook page, but also you can reach out to me and email me at parenting in uniform at gmail.com. And I am happy to send that anytime. Thank you very much, Jessica. I really appreciate you spending the time to speak with us. Yeah, no problem. And congratulations on the hair policy. Oh, I can't wait for the ponytail. And of course, I chopped my hair because I was looking forward to being able to gradually grow it out with a small ponytail. Now I can grow out my ponytail nice and long. (laughs) Absolutely. While wearing my earrings. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with someone who can benefit from this information. You can also follow the Parenting in Uniform Facebook page to stay up to date on the latest news related to military parents and families. Thank you for listening. This podcast has no affiliation with the Department of Defense nor any of the military units or organizations mentioned. This podcast is for information only. Statements and views made by guests are not necessarily those of the host, and no statements should be construed as fact or medical advice.